Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Well, good morning. It has been a really fun morning already. Just a wonderful thing. And uh, I'm just excited. Uh, our, uh, our son and daughter-in-law landed in the United States of America. Yeah. <laughs> last night, last night about 11, 11.30, something like that. And so they're, they're back in the, in, in the States for a while after being in Germany, stationed in Germany for four years. We're glad to, to, to have them back home. And, uh, you know, it, it, it caused me to do a little reminiscing as I was thinking about, about him. Uh, just a, a little, little thinking um, about some of the, um, some of the stunts he pulled. Some of the emergency room visits, you know, and then it caused me to think about some of the stunts I pulled. Some of the emergency room visits. And then I thought about some of you, because I grew up here, so I know some of your stories too, and some of the emergency room visits, and you know, it's, it's amazing, quite frankly, that some of us are still standing. You know, still, still alive at some of the lame brain kind of things that we did during, you know, our childhood and adolescence. And, you know, it's actually even more amazing that, you know, some of our moms are still here uh, after surviving our childhoods. And, you know, one of the things parents do is parents... Parents do this incredible job of trying to give warning to their kids. Messages like, be careful. You know, look both ways before, before you cross the street. All of those warnings and all of those directions on how to live life carefully, cautiously, uh, effectively. And that is kind of the thought in mind as we go to God's Word today. We're going to be in um, Ephesians chapter 5, uh, if you want to open your Bibles there. I know some of you thought that I had given up on the book of Ephesians, that I had just forgotten that I didn't finish it. Um, I, I did not forget. I told you we would stop and do some other things along the way and that we would get back. And so for those of you who have been on the ride for a, a while with us, we started a study in the book of Ephesians, um, January 27th of 2019. So a year ago, okay? A little over a year ago, in fact. And um, so we're picking it back up in, in, in chapter 5 uh, today. And uh, we're picking up right where we left off. And I think this is part like 24 or something like that. Um, so anyway, that's what we're going to be doing. Now, just rewind for a minute real quickly. Uh, review. Paul, in the opening chapters of Genesis, introduces us to the idea that we are in Christ. And because we're in Christ, as by faith we've trusted him, we're in Christ. By faith, RJ has professed today that he has trusted Christ. He's in Christ. And, and that phrase is repeated all throughout uh, the letter to the Ephesians that Paul wrote. And what that means is you're not just who you were anymore. You have a, a whole new address if you would. You, you're in Christ. You belong to him and all that he is and all that he has. You're, you're wrapped up in the identity of Christ. And that's, that's really the, the heartbeat of the first couple of chapters as Paul introduces the church at Ephesus to this idea. And then they, he begins shifting gears when we get over to chapter 4. And chapter 4 kind of starts the now what? 
Now that that's true about you, how should life be different? What, what, what could be different about this new you that, that's in Christ? How do, you, how do you go about doing this? How, how do you do this? And the way that Paul, the language that he uses is he talks about it. How's your walk? And so in verse uh, 1 of chapter 4, Paul tells us that we are to have this worthy walk. We're to walk in a, in a worthy manner. Uh, chapter 4 verse 1. Then in, in verse 17, Paul talks about a, a, another kind of walk. And he, he tells us to walk in such a way that's, that's different. Walk differently. He says this in verse 17 of, of chapter 4. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Don't walk the way non-believers walk. Your walk should now look different. It should be, uh, your gait should should be different. Your, your stride should be different. Your pace should look different from the rest of the world. And now we get to, to chapter 5 and we're looking today and Paul is going to show us three additional ways that our walk should look different to the world. And, and I want us to think of it in terms of our walk should look so different that it actually brings glory to God. And so he's going to give us three ways that our walk gives, gives glory to God. Now, we have a saying here that uh, Pastor Kurt popularized. Um, for those of you who don't know him, uh, he's a, a was former lead pastor here. He's kingdom coach. He's actually preaching at Sullivan's Island Baptist Church uh, today, this morning, doing some coaching them. But he popularized this phrase, and it's this. Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks more than your talk talks. Now, some of you newbies are saying, huh? So I'll slow down a little bit. Your walk talks and your talk talks... But your walk talks more than your talk talks. Okay? You got it? Okay, turn to your neighbor and say it right now. Come on, come on. I hear more chuckling than I do talking. That's a mouthful, isn't it? I mean, it's just, it, it, it's a mouthful. And so, this is where Paul is going because Paul knows this as truth that our walk actually says more about us and about our love for God than the words that we use. And so he says this in verse 1, Paul does, chapter 5. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So that's, that's what we do based on what we know about who we are in Christ. Paul says, we, you need to graduate into a different kind of life and, and do the things that bring the, the most glory to God. And so, what he's saying here is this, the first way that I will bring great glory to God in my walk is when I walk in love. When I walk in love. Now, if you go back and you look at verses 1 and 2 carefully, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He's saying, be imitators of God. Do this. Be, be imitators of God. Now, one of the things, obviously, that we're talking about here is this, this walk in, in, in love. I hope you would agree with me that probably uh, of all the topics in the world that songs and poems have been written about, the subject of love is probably, you know, at the top of, of all of those charts. There's, you know, love songs were written for girlfriends and boyfriends and spouses and, and love songs for God. I also know that you know that um, in our culture today, the word love is pretty grossly confused, I think. <laughs> 
really confused, especially how you apply the term. Some of you know that um, there are several biblical languages, uh, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. And in the Greek language, there are actually four words for love in that English only has one to translate. And so, you know, we'll say things like, um, you know, I love my, my wife or I love the beach or I love lunch at Swig and Swine um, or I love God. You know, we'll say all these, all these different things. And, you know, all of those are legitimate statements. But I really pray that you don't love God the way you love Swig and Swine. You know, that, that would be elevating a pig to the level of God. And pork and God just don't equal one another. Okay, so we need, we need to be conscious about that. And, and so people get confused in our world today about love. People will say, you know, we're in love or uh, I'm in, in love with you. And those can be very legitimate statements. However, too often people, too often some people use the word love and what they mean is, is lust. And, and what they really are saying is, I love me and I want you or what you could do for me. And so it's more about them than it is uh, about you. And so Paul puts the subject in the right place. He makes the subject all about God. He's the example. And, and his word says, be, be imitators of God. The followers of God, as, as dear children, walk in love. Now, we know that... We know that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus and uh, historically we know that Paul also left Timothy in Ephesus for a while to kind of build up the leadership. But when, when Paul and Timothy eventually left Ephesus, do you know who became the bishop of, of Ephesus, really the first bishop of the church? It was the Apostle John. The Apostle John. And before he got exiled to the Isle of Patmos, the Apostle John was in the church and didn't actually advance much in age. The, the church historian Jerome tells us about uh, the Apostle John in his age condition that at times they would literally have to carry him on a cot even um, into a service where he would preach from a cot. And some days, frequently it's told that he would, he would do this. They'd bring him down front and they'd get ready for the message. And here's what the Apostle John would say. Little children, love one another. That was the end of the, the message. I, I know some of you are saying, Joe. <laughs> Learn from John, dude. So they'd, service would end, they'd... Repeat it. Same thing next week. Little children. Love one another. They do the parting chorus and go. And, and this one, finally, you know, after a while, people start saying, what's up with John? And one of the elders went to John and, and asked him, John, sir, we respect you. I mean, John, nobody here else was walked with Jesus. Nobody here, you know, was at the Last Supper and leaned against his breast. John, we, we uh, honor you. We, we admire you. Why do you keep telling us the same thing over and over again? And what Jerome records John saying is, is, is this. And if this only is done, it is enough. This is the only thing that we're able to accomplish as God's people is, is to love like he loved. John says it, it would be enough. And so Paul writes and says walk in love. 
Walk in love. And then Paul, I believe in the passage here, gives us three very specific ways to walk in love. And the first one is this. I walk in love when I imitate my Father in heaven. I walk in love when I imitate my Father in heaven. He tells us in verse 1, be imitators of God. There's no greater example of love than God. And it tells us to imitate him as, as little children. Like, like father, like son. It, it's kind of like the family business is to love. And Paul tells us, actually in, in, in earlier chapters in Ephesians, he tells us this one he writes to the church at Colossae, that it's actually going to take God all eternity to teach us really how deep and vast and incredible the love of God really is. All eternity we're still going to be learning that. And so we, as children uh, of God, we need to, to imitate him. So, so how do you do that? How do you, how do you imitate your father? Well, you, you do it as a child would do it. Now, some of you have heard the, the old saying that sin, uh, flattery is one of the most uh, sincere, or excuse me, imitation is one of the, uh, the most sincere forms of, uh, of flattery. And I think, wouldn't it be an incredible compliment to God? Wouldn't it be an incredible way to glorify God if that was the way we lived? That when we, when we faced, you know, somebody that for the, maybe we're just encountering somebody who's, who's quite unlovable. And you, you think to yourself, you know, Lord, I, I don't like that person. But I'm going to love them. I'm going to pray for them. Because you're my example, God. Because I wasn't very likable and, and you love me. And, and just, uh, again, just by the way kind of thing. The Greek language here, the word is memetes, in which we get our word mimic from. So this actually has to do with, with mimicking God. I don't know if you had ever had the experience of your children when they were little following you around and, and, and mimicking you. I remember Taylor trying to pick up a sledgehammer that I put down one time. Um, it, it didn't result in a visit to the emergency room that time, but um, it might have. Uh, but, and, and right now, we, we've got a 22-month-old granddaughter who follows her big brother, Emmett, around. He's four years old, doing everything he does. Drives him nuts some days. But it's that kind of you, following God around. Imitating God. There, there's a story told... Um, from the, uh, the, the, the era uh, of the Great Depression in New York City that there was a little boy standing outside of a department store. It was in the dead of winter. And he had his face pressed up against the window and he was just standing there shivering. And this woman walked up and just kind of looked at him and at, at this little boy shivering and asked him what he was doing. And he looked up at her and said, I'm, I'm, I'm praying that God will give me a pair of shoes. And of course she couldn't just let that go. She, she took the little boy in and spoke to the clerk and obviously she knew the, the store clerk and uh, went in and said, how about take me to the back and get me uh, a bowl of warm water and a towel. And, uh, and she did and she said also go ahead and get two pairs of shoes his size and six pairs of nice wool socks. And um, So they went back and she uh, washed the little boy's feet. And she slipped on a new pair of socks and these new pair of shoes and she, uh, she, she got him dressed and gave him the extras and was sending him on his way. And as she was walking out the store, she felt a tug on her coat and it was the little boy again. And he looked up at her and he said this, lady, are, are you God's wife? 
because she, she said, what? She said, are, are you God's wife? And she said, I, I don't understand why, why you're asking me that. She said, because this is something I think of that God would do. Wouldn't it be really cool if people we encountered where we live, work, and play thought for a moment that somehow we're related to God? Just because of the, of the way that we're, we're imitating our Father, people would look at us and think, I, I, I'm, an, I'm just imitating. Be imitators of God as beloved children. And verse 2 goes on and says, And walk in love as Christ loved us. And so we go from imitating God our Father to emulating our Savior Jesus. Why? Because it, it tells us that we need to love as little children. We need to love God. We need to do it. We need to love the world as God does. But sometimes that can feel abstract. Sometimes we're trying to figure out what does it look like to, to love God. It, it's hard. But it's not if we think that what that means is that we emulate Jesus. We, we look at Jesus. The writer of Hebrews reminds us of this in Hebrews 1. The sun reflects the glory of God and shows exactly what God is like. Paul writes to the church at Colossae and he tells them in Colossians 1. Christ is the exact likeness of the unseen God. Jesus said this in John 14. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is God. Jesus is what God is like. He was here as the God-man and he perfectly, perfectly imitated God. So we can walk in love as we emulate Jesus. And that's one of the reasons why it is so important to sit and soak regularly in the Gospels. The first four books of the New Testament. Just, just hang out there. And I'm not saying don't pay attention to the rest of the Bible. I didn't say that. But I am saying we need to spend a lot of time knowing Jesus you know how kids usually first learn to start drawing well? By tracing. And, you know, somebody that gives them this, this sheet of paper you can kind of see through and they lay over an object and they just, they start tracing it. Take their pencil and start tracing it. And this is what Paul is saying to us. It's the concept of, uh, of following God. We need to allow our lives to be traced over Jesus. So that we can learn to love as Jesus loved. But, but how did? How did Jesus love? How did Jesus love you? How is Jesus loving you? Well, Jesus loved us unconditionally. Jesus loved us sacrificially. He loved us by displaying complete forgiveness. Josh McDowell, an author, many of you know him probably, has written several books. In, in his book, Why True Love Waits, he said something that just kind of struck me. He said that every human being basically has two big fears, uh, especially wrapped around love. And the first one is this, that they will never be loved for who they really are. If people really knew who you were, you think, people wouldn't love me. If they knew everything, about, they wouldn't love me. The second greatest fear was that people were afraid that they would never be able to actually give authentic, unconditional love. And because of that, we try to replace it with, with other things and, and, and call it love. But it's really not, it's really not love. Because, see, we'll, we'll do anything in order to experience intimacy with another person. We'll do anything for that. And so, God's Word calls us to love like Christ. 
to do it unconditionally and sacrificially. Verse 2 says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Anybody a Beatles fan? Does anybody remember the, the Beatles song, When I'm 64? Yeah. It, it talks about, you know, it, when I go bald and, you know, lose my hair. Will, will you still love me? You know, will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? How do you answer that question? What, what, what does it look like to love as Christ loves? Well, the answer to the question is absolutely. Yes, I will. You get wrinkles all over your body. You, 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 you go completely bald. You, you end up bedridden and I will love you. As Christ loved me, I'll love you forever. See, that, that's the love of Christ. That's loving like Jesus. No, no strings attached. Loving uh, unconditionally. And that's the idea of loving like Christ did. See, did, did, Jesus, did Jesus love you because you deserved it? I mean, did, 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 did Jesus, you know, he was kind of looking around the world and when he spotted you, he thought, oh, man, goodness gracious, you're such a find. There's a lot of people in your neighborhood, but nobody like, you know that's not true. You, you, you know the truth that Jesus found you when you were dead in your sin. Just when you were like, Romans, Romans chapter 5 tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ sacrificed. Christ loved you so much when you were ungodly. How, how, do, you, how do you love others? See, we're called to, we're not called to like everybody. In fact, I, I personally think it's impossible to like everybody. But we're called to, to love everyone. See, liking somebody is, is an emotional response. Loving somebody is, is, is a commitment. And I'm just going to be honest. I don't like everybody. Don't come ask me if I like you after this is over. <laughs> don't go there, you know. I, I, and I'm just, again, I, but I'm called to love everybody. See, there's a difference between the emotion and the choice. But the only way that I will know how to love everybody is if I am emulating Jesus because it is, it is a choice. And it's really what separates what I'll call big league and minor league love. is loving like Jesus and that means that I must love sacrificially. How much are you willing to sacrifice for another person. Some of you may be familiar with a guy by the name of, of Dr. Michael DeBecky. He was the heart surgeon that helped kind of design and engineer the first artificial heart. And a little girl had a paper to do about that and so she wrote him a letter because she was curious about some things. And one of the questions she asked Dr. DeBecky was this. She says, does, does a plastic heart have love in it? Don't you love kid questions? I love the questions that Michelle reports to us that the kids around here ask. But he wrote her back. And this is what he said, Dear precious one, 
One plastic heart has lots of love in it because a plastic heart is made by about a hundred people with lots of love for, for other people. And they don't want them to die, but to get better. In fact, a plastic heart has so much love in it, these people will often work all day long and sometimes all night long to make that plastic heart just perfect for that one. So my dear, you might say that a plastic heart has as much love as a hundred real hearts have. I thought that was just a really cool answer. Just a really, really cool answer. See, Jesus said, greater love has no person than that they would be willing to lay down their life for their friends. And so the love of Christ is that which we need to emulate. It's, it's unconditional. It's, it, it's sacrificial. Verse 3. I know some of you are saying, we are never going to get to verse 21. Just hold on. Paul writes, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. And what we're seeing here is this idea. We imitate our Father. We we emulate our Savior. But the next few verses, Paul is going to give us kind of this laundry list of things that aren't fit for those who are followers of Christ. And we're going to see these are end up being sins of, of passion and sins of, of our mouths. And it says if you practice these, that what you're doing is you're living selfishly. You're not, not walking in love. And so verse 3 starts out with sexual immorality. Some, some of your translations may say fornication. The Greek word is pornea. And, and basically it means any illicit sexual activity at all. That's, that's what it's talking about. And what that means is it's devoted. It's a life that is devoted to more of what I can get out of somebody else than what I can give you or serve you with. Now, I, I already mentioned this thing, difference between lust and love. And I just want to say, if, if someone you're dating says to you something like, or if anybody does it, if you love me, you'll do this. Paul here is saying they're a liar. You ought to punch it. No, he didn't say that. But you need to get away from them. Because they're toxic. They, they, they have a deep confusion. They have a mistaken concept of what love is. Because what they're talking about is, is self-gratification. They're talking about instant gratification. Paul goes on uses the word impurity. And this, is, this has to do with, with thought life that's included here. And then he talks about covetousness. And this is where you'll, you'll do whatever it takes to get what you want. Paul says those things aren't even to be named among you. It shouldn't be going on so that somebody could say somebody that's a part of River Bluff has these things happening. And then here in verse 3 and following, Paul is talking about the third way that we walk in love. And it's this. I walk in love when I influence my relational connections. When I influence my relational connections for God. When I, when I, when I walk in godliness. So I imitate my Father, I emulate my Savior, and I influence my relational world. People where I live, work, and play. Paul continues the same thought in verse 4. He says, let there be no filthiness, no, no foolish talk. He's talking about sins of the mouth. No, no crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Now, I don't know if you noticed how Paul just really tied together, you know, what, what we think of as, um, as, as big sins. See, all of these practices, what they do, they're restricting, they keep the flow of love for, from happening in people's lives. See, if, if God the Father is the originator of love, and, and He is, the Bible says about Him that He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. 
And if Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice in terms of love, and he is, then, then what he's saying here is selfishness clogs love up. It keeps love from happening, from flowing in, in, in relationships. And, and all of these that Paul, or this list that he's giving, all of these things speak to that. Verse 5 says this, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually moral, and, and I, this is a heavy verse. Just going to warn you when you, we read it all. For every, you can be sure of this, everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that means an, an idolater. Covetousness is basically a form of idolatry. Has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Verse 6, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now again, I don't know if you find it interesting, but I find it very interesting that Paul quickly puts the sins of passion and, and the sins of our, our mouths on equal footing. You know, it just, it, it reminded me that, you know, in God's sight, sin's equal. Now, sometimes the, the, out, the fallout of it is different in this world. But in the sight of God, they're all equal. And so he, he goes right into these, after these great big sins of sexual immorality and purity covetousness, he talks about sins in the mouth. Did by chance the last time you went to the doctor, he pulled out that little wooden board and, and he told you to open your mouth, stick out your tongue. Doctors do that. That's one of the first signs that they, they look for because they can tell a lot about what's going on in you because of your, your tongue. Jesus said in Luke 6, the mouth speaks from that which the heart is full of. If you want to know what's going on in somebody's heart, keep their tongue moving. If they talk long enough, eventually what they're full of will, will spill out. If they're filled with unwholesomeness and ungratefulness, you're going to know it. If they're filled with, 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 with gratitude and goodness and love, you're going to know it. It, it. it will eventually come out because it's in their heart. Verse 7 tells us this. We're not to even be partakers with them. That, that list, we're not, it doesn't mean that we're not to, to, to have relationships with them. We'd have to leave the world to do that. But it's saying we're not to be in such deep fellowship partakers in that behavior. Engaging in, in that behavior. And these are the ways that we bring God the most glory. When we walk in love. So jump, jump into to verse 8 now. Paul writes this, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Verse 9, Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light, some translations will say for the fruit of the Spirit here, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And so secondly, Paul is telling us another way to walk is that my walk brings the most glory to God when I walk in love, but also when I walk in light. When I walk in light. Now I want to unpack just real quickly a couple of things uh, about light because the Bible speaks about light uh, a, a lot. It's something that's mentioned throughout scripture. Sometimes when it speaks of light it's actually talking about God physically. The presence of God. The glory of God showing up physically. So wh wherever God shows up the, the Bible often speaks of it being accompanied by light. In Genesis chapter 1 it says this in the beginning. 
God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and God said what? Actually, go back and look at the Hebrew. What God said was light. I mean, it really, it's, it, it's a one word. We, we fill it in that he's saying, light, come on, you know, kind of thing. But basically what God said was light. It's the first recorded word of God speaking to humanity that we know of, that's recorded. Light. See, when God shows up, the light of his glory, there's this physical presence of his glory that shows up. You go 14 chapters further into the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 15, and, and we see God making a covenant with Abraham. And in, in, in Genesis chapter 15, there, there's this, during the covenant, there's this burning lamp that passed through divided pieces of of. of cattle carcass that had been carved. This was the way a covenant was made. And uh, Abraham's having this vision. And this light is passing through it. It's the presence of God. It's the, it's the glory of, of God physically showing up out, out in the wilderness. And move forward into Exodus chapter 13. And the Bible tells us that God, the, the Shekinah glory, the presence of God shows up and literally leads God's people at night through the wilderness. Because God's glory shows up physically as light. But the Bible also speaks of God's morality, God's holiness as light, his purity, his uniqueness. And so Paul, when he's writing to Timothy, Paul, Paul tells Timothy this in 1 Timothy. It says, the King of kings and Lord of lords who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light. Paul's saying that the holiness of God is, his singularity, his uniqueness is, is light. The Bible also speaks of God's uh, in, intellectualness, if you would. God's, God's knowledge, his all-knowingness, his uh, omniscience uh, as, as being light. And we, we, we understand those terms. You know, we, there was an era of, of our uh, humanity, of, of mankind existed that we call, we refer to as the Dark Ages. You remember what the Dark Ages were followed by? The Enlightenment. You know, we, we, we use this same kind of language. This idea of, of darkness and light, enlightenment. Here, here's the truth. Every generation has lived in the dark ages if they've lived apart from God. Because God, God is, God is all-knowing. God, God is light. Uh, any man or woman apart from God is, is living in darkness. And they don't come to the light until they come to a personal knowledge, an intimate knowledge of Jesus. I don't care if you got 45 PhDs, you're, you're still walking in spiritual darkness. And Paul is telling us that for us to walk in the light will bring great glory to God. And what that means, I think, is that we've got to live with hearts to please God. The prophet Amos, in, in Amos chapter 3, asked this question, do two walk together unless they have agreed? And, and what he's basically saying is, how can, how can we say we walk with God if we're not walking in agreement with what matters to him? If we're not walking in agreement with, with, with God's character? I want to make you just kind of a personal promise. If you will find out 
what God is like and what he likes and you do that, you'll be walking in the light. You, you, you don't, it's, it's not like, you know, some scientific theory. If you will just find out what God is like and what he likes and do that, you, you will find yourself walking in the light. King David put it this way in Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. God's word enlightens us. And so what that means is, is we've got to get connected to the general principles in, in God's word. It means we've got to spend regular time in the word of God every day. Getting a little portion of it. Digesting it. Applying it. Doing more and more with it. And then we'll be walking in the light. We'll, we'll be able to do that. I think also it means to live in the light of God's holiness. Peter said this. He said, you must be holy because I am holy. He wrote those words about God. God, God speaking this. We, we've got to be holy as he is holy. And, and that literally means that it's talking about the light, light of knowledge. See, God, God, God sees everything that we do. God knows everything that we think. God, God saw that video you saw last night. Unfortunately, God saw me on the drive-in this morning and saw in my heart how I wanted to follow this one particular knucklehead home. <laughs> but I didn't. You know? I, just, I had to just go to the Lord and say, Father, I want to I love this guy. I, I, I want to I pray for him. And I can't do that without you. I, I, need, I need knowledge of you, God. You've forgiven me of a list that is far longer than what I just experienced. So, Father, I want to walk in the light. So, I, I choose to forgive as you did. Verse 10. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Now, I'm, I'm not really sure who, who was the first person I heard say this or, or who said it. But th there's this little story that's told that we should live in such a way that we would never be afraid to sell our parrot to the town gossip. You get it, don't you? I mean, it's just, it, it, it's true. It, when, it, when it says, take no part in those unfruitful works, that's what it's talking about. L living, living in darkness. So be the kind of bright shining light that when you're around people who are in darkness, you reflect. That, that's why we give candles out. That's why we say you're the light of the world because Jesus said that's true about us. We're, we're to reflect the light of God's love, the radiance of, of his holiness. Now that does not mean you have to become holier than thou. It's not something you've got to work yourself up into some frenzy over. It, it's not being obnoxious. It's being authentic. Those are two very different things. And, and basically what it means is you, you just start living what you're seeing as you discover who Jesus is. As you study his life and teachings, your, your time with him. Now, will that cause some people in the world some discomfort? It will. Just as, you're, just as you're living out the life of Jesus, sometimes it will cause people some discomfort. But friends... A little bit of discomfort for them might be the turning point that tips them into understanding the grace of God. And makes a difference between them spending an eternity with God or an eternity separated from God, which would be horrendous. 
And so a little discomfort won't hurt them. I mean, think, think about Jesus. Again, looking at the life of Jesus. Before Jesus came on the scene, almost everybody in Israel, including Jesus' disciples, thought that the scribes and Pharisees were, were it. Cream of the crop on what it means to walk spiritually. They, they were the studiers of the, you know, the Bible. They, they were the keepers of the truth. Until Jesus showed up and Jesus shined like a 5,000 watt light on their hypocrisy. Their, their actual unrighteousness. You remember in Matthew chapter 23, some of the language that Jesus used? One of the phrases, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you, you're, you're like whitewashed tombs, outwardly beautiful, but you're full of dead people's bones. Do you think he made the, the Pharisees a little uncomfortable? Probably. But it might have been that discomfort that pushed Nicodemus to a private conversation with Jesus. Who knows? Sometimes discomfort isn't, isn't difficult. Sometimes when we're walking in the light and we're just speaking the truth in a spirit of gentleness, it'll make people uncomfortable. Verse 11 says this, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. Anything that gets exposed by light becomes visible. Anybody ever heard of uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, the writer? Uh, he grew up in, uh, in Scotland, Edinburgh, Scotland. And when he was little, it's told about him, his mother reported this, that one night, um, he, he lived in a time where there wasn't electricity, and so, um, at least in the streetlights. And so they literally had people who went around every night who, who lit the streetlights, gas lighters. And on one particularly dark, kind of foggy night, um, he was coming home, and he watched this guy just walk down the street. And he went tearing off, running home, and, and he said, Mom, Mom, I watched a man punching holes in darkness tonight. I thought that was just such a great image of what our lives are supposed to be like. We're supposed to walk through this world punching holes in the darkness. Not ang out of anger, not out of meanness, but just in the way that we, we imitate Jesus. Jesus told us in, in Matthew, Matthew 5, let your light so shine before others that they see your good works but don't give you glory. Glorify your Father in heaven. Friends, if, if an awakening is ever going to come to our city, if an awakening, uh, an awareness of God is ever going to come back to our, our, our country, it's only going to happen when the people of God start punching more holes in the darkness. It's the only way that, that it's going to happen. Now let's look kind of at the, this last reality. Verse 14 picks it up. It says, therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's thought by many church historians that this was an actual ancient Easter hymn. And, and what it was saying is that it was an invitation for unbelievers to come to faith in Jesus. Awakening from their, their, their sleep and kind of in death. And that pushes on to the final thing that, that Paul, I believe, wants us to see. And it's this. That my walk brings the most glory to God when I walk in wisdom. When I walk in wisdom. Verse 15 says this. Look carefully then how you walk, not as, not as unwise, but as wise. The King, King James Version says it this way. See that you walk circumspectly. Don't you like that word? 
Walk circumspectly. And, and what Paul does is he begins contrasting kind of the way of the fool with, with the way of the wise. Verse 15 and 16 together says this. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise but as wise. Making the best use of time because the days are evil. Now I think today if you ask somebody who, you know, what's a fool look like? They'd say, ah, somebody can't really make their way in the world. Somebody can't make bases. Somebody can't tie their shoes. But according to the Bible, foolishness is actually more linked to whether or not you acknowledge God. And acknowledge who he is. Psalms 14 says this. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And again, actually the Hebrew, we, we add words a lot of times to our translation as English. What the Hebrew actually says is the fool has said in his heart, no God. No God. See, there's one way to just deny that there's a God. There's another way for you to say no God in which God begins pouring out his mercy and his grace and he offers it to you. And you look at him and say no. God, I, I, I don't want that. You know, it's kind of like being in, in a restaurant and the, the, the server just keeps coming and pouring you coffee. And you can say, no coffee. Well, it doesn't mean that suddenly you're, you know, disavowing the existence of coffee. It just means you don't want any more. And there are people who stiff-arm God that way and say, say, say no to God. And there's, there's a huge difference between wisdom and, and, and knowledge. There's, there's a lot of knowledge going on out there. People who study knowledge tell us this, that um, human knowledge accumulated uh, by, by humanity over, over the course of recorded history, that up, all the knowledge that was accumulated from the beginning of time up to 1845, if you would put it on a, on a graph and, and let all of that knowledge equal an inch, then the, the next 100 years from 1845 to 1945 would be equal to three inches. The amount of knowledge that was accumulated by, by, by human beings in just 100 years. It, it tripled. Now, if you take that same scale from 1945 to 1975, the, the amount of knowledge that increased by, by humanity, it would be as tall as the Washington Monument. I read something by, uh, written um, by some scientists from IBM and IBM estimates that in this year, in 2020, that human knowledge will double every 12 hours. I just, it, it, it kind of blows me away. But the, the big question with all that knowledge is their accompanying wisdom. Because wisdom is about the application of knowledge. Wisdom is, okay, we got this knowledge, so, so what do we do with it? And I think it's never been more important in all of history that Christ followers know how to apply knowledge. Through, through godly wisdom. And that's why it's ta it talks here. Paul uses this word about walking circumspectly. And it basically means w walking, looking around. Because the days are evil. Well, it's kind of like walking through a minefield. Know that you're walking through a minefield in this world. Why? He goes on to say, make the best use of time because the days are, are, are evil. Make the best use of your time. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Uh, but I did some reading and this was, I thought, interesting. If you're 35 years of age... 
This writer, this, I guess, anthropologist said basically this. If you're 35 years of age, you have 500 more days to live. And I know some of you are saying, that dude needed to go back to math school. But this is what he did. He took out all the time you spent sleeping and eating and brushing your teeth and tying your shoes and getting All of the chores of life. And he's talking about the, the amount of time you have left to actually make a difference. To actually invest. If you're 35, you have 500 days left. Now some of you are looking at me, oh my gosh. I am way over 35. Now that means you got a shorter time. And, and Paul says, make the most of it. It, it. See, this isn't about counting time. It's about making time count. It, that, that's what's going on here. Redeem the time. Don't, don't waste your time. Ma make a difference with your time. Use your time to make an eternal difference. Take steps to share the gospel multiple times with, with those 500 days you have left. Because that's the only thing that's going to pay off. Make your time count. Seize the day. Verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what it is, and the best way to make use of the time that you have left is dedicating yourself to knowing the will of God and doing it. And that means that you would then take steps of, of opportunity. Verse 18 says this, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. See, walking in wisdom means I take steps of opportunity, but it also means I will take steps of power. And I get power from the Holy Spirit. Now, some people take that verse and they talk about, oh, well, then if you're filled with the Spirit, it means like you're just got to do loony things, like you're drunk. That is not what it means in the context of walking in wisdom. What it means is, is what you're under the influence of. We, we have a phrase, DUI. Driving under the influence of some kind of substance. Well, what Paul, I believe, is advocating here is an LUI. That you live under the influence of the Spirit. That you let the Spirit control you. Then you will have this life of power. You will take steps of opportunity and power. And then Paul closes with this. He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. Verse 20, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this final point I think is this, is that we need to take steps, not just of opportunity and of power, but we need to take steps in fellowship. There is this movement in our day to walk away from community, to walk away from deep relationships, to try to do everything on the TV or on the internet. You need people. Paul is saying you need the body of Christ. If you're going to walk in a way that glorifies God, if you're going to walk in wisdom, you got to walk with, with people. You got to connect, stay connected to people. That's the only place where you're really going to bring God great glory is in the presence of other people. So submit yourselves to relationships that builds you up in God. That's a whole another message itself. But we're going to stop there today. Okay? Let me pray for us. Father God, we come giving thanks that you have laid out a plan for us to walk in such a way 
that we can imitate you in such a way that we can emulate your son and in such a way that we can steward our influence in the world. God, you've, you've called us to, to walk in love, to walk in light, to walk in wisdom. And maybe, maybe, Lord, today there's somebody here and for the very first time when they were thinking about what it means for a Christ follower to walk in love, they, they heard in their heart, in their mind for the very first time that it means that they're loved unconditionally, sacrificially by Jesus. And not before they change or get cleaned up, but just as they are right now. And that may be you today. I don't know. Maybe you're hearing for the very first time it struck your heart in such a way that you realize Jesus loves you. He loved you enough to sacrifice everything for you. To leave heaven, to come to this earth, to live sacrificially, giving up everything, to live in poverty, to die a criminal's death on a cross, and to do it to pay for your sin. And maybe today for the very first time you want to receive that gift from God because you've been walking in darkness. And it's overwhelmed your heart and soul and your life and you just want to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to walk in your love. I want to, I want to be in your love. I want to receive your love. And the Bible says, if you call on the name of Jesus with a heart that wants to turn from your own ways and choose his ways, you'll be saved. You can do that right where you're at. You can just call on the name of Jesus and dedicate your life. Make him Lord. Let him be boss of your life today. Most of us here, we just need to renew this call on our lives on knowing that our walk talks more than our talk does. Renewing ourselves, recommitting ourselves to walking in the love of Christ. Walking in the light. Walking in, in wisdom, godly wisdom. So Father, help us now, I pray, to make any new commitments, renewed commitments that we need to make, to give ourselves fully to you, our, 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 our talents, our time, our treasures. And so we come now doing that again, recommitting ourselves, re giving back to you that which is yours and tithes and offerings, giving ourselves, first of all, Lord, back to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 11.30 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.